You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's RSA Conference podcast. Today, we're talking about how a global crisis changes the threat landscape. This is Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. Change is something that everyone has experienced in varying degrees lately, and in many ways, we still remain in the process of changing, both personally and professionally. The current global crisis has caused abrupt changes to many aspects of our lives, and cybersecurity's threat landscape is no different. Today, we'll be talking about the impact of the global crisis and the impact it has had on the threat landscape. We're joined by two industry experts who are both part of the CTI League, Mark and Ohad. Can you please take a moment to introduce yourselves? Hello. My name is Mark Rogers. I'm the Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy at Okta and also the Head of Security at DEFCON. So, hello, everybody. My name is Ohad Zeidenberg from Israel. I'm the Lead Cyber Intelligence Researcher of Clear Sky Cyber Security and the founder of CTI League. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for being here. I know everyone's schedules are really complicated right now, and we're dealing with dialing in from East Coast, Pacific Time, and Tel Aviv. So we're representing the global clocks right now, and I really appreciate you taking the time to not only connect with me, but with the RSA conference community as well. I would love to hear from each of you if you could tell me a little bit about your involvement in the CTI League, and maybe, Mark, let's start with you. Sure. Um, The CTI League started out as a small group of us who wanted to protect medical infrastructure. Um, Information security people all around the world will resonate with this. We love what we do, and in our spare time, we we tend to do the same thing. And now that we can't go and have a beer or hang out with our friends, we're left with even more spare time. And so we thought, let's get as many people as we can together and and see what we could do and were blown away by the response. (laughs) What I will say is I didn't expect to uh, go from doing threat hunting and working on technology to trying to run a globally distributed enterprise, but uh, I guess that's what comes with the territory when you end up with 1,400 of the world's best threat hunters all together working with law enforcement, government, and, and other industry sectors to take down the bad guys. That's fantastic. And, Ohad, you had mentioned that you were the founder of CTI League. Can you talk a little bit about how you got this started? So the community established on March 14, after a month that I saw so many attacks uh, in the cyber domain, that the threat actor leveraged the corona crisis to gain some, some profit. And then I understood that as the corona spreading to all around the world and more and more countries got infected, more and more threat actors will join this mission to exploit the pandemic to gain some profit. So it doesn't matter whether it's a nation-state-sponsored uh, campaign looking to steal information regarding the pandemic or some threat actor that want to gain profit from hospitals or some laboratories or anything that can cause death. The meaning of uh, this kind of attack, as I told, can cause death. And then I decided that I can't sit on the fence anymore and I need to do something. So uh, with my my colleagues, Mark Rogers, Nate Warfield, and Chris Mice, we established this community 
especially after uh, everything that happened with the attacks against hospitals in the Czech Republic. At first, we were focused on hospitals. We didn't expect as much at all that so many people would join this joint effort. We didn't expect so many people from all around the world. Um, for me as an Israeli, I really didn't imagine that uh, countries that I can't go to as an Israeli with my Israeli passport um, will join this initiative. From the first week, we understood that we need to focus on different kind of levels that uh, this pandemic caused. It doesn't matter if the threat actor is trying to attack the medical sector uh, specifically or trying to leverage the coronavirus crisis to gain profit. That's fascinating. And so I know that you started with uh, focusing on hospitals and medical devices and I would love for you to explain the changes that you've seen across the threat landscape, and are those changes different depending on the industry that you're working in? The information that I'm going to elaborate now is based on uh, mostly on our inaugural report that we published a few days ago on the 21st of, uh, of April. So there are two types of behavioral, in my opinion, that this pandemic caused, not only in the cyber domain generally, but specifically in the cyber domain. The first one is behavior that was created because of the pandemic, and the second one is behavior that increased because of the pandemic, and they happened before also. So the first type is unique attacks um, that only focuses on the pandemic. For example, we can see attacks with purposes of information about the virus and about vaccines from medical facilities all around the world, laboratories, researchers, and everyone that works uh, on the pandemic. In that matter, uh, we see a lot of threat actors from nation state sponsors, uh, APTs, for example. And we see a lot of attacks against global organizations like the WHO, um, as you can see in the report. The second thing that we observed is attack that increased from a well-known attack of some, for example, some threat actor that used the pandemic as the new decoy document and not targeted only a coronavirus-related organization. These both are very dangerous, and we both we want to uh, neutralize. It doesn't matter if the threat actor tries to attack some organization using information about the coronavirus or just uh, try to impersonate it, we need to stop that. For example, in the dark domain, with so many attacks, um, many scams that try to sell vaccines, if some people will buy this vaccine and, or buy a test and got a negative and go out to the street, it can infect others and cause death. This is really dangerous. And at the first month, we mostly see information about the pandemic. Now we see a lot of threat actors that uses um, documents about vaccines and about tests and how to get uh, tested with no official uh, test. This is one of the most uh, trending uh, issues that we see in this uh, domain. So interesting. And Mark, do you have anything to add to that that you've seen evolving or changing in the threat landscape? First of all, this is probably the largest tidal wave of cyber attacks I've ever seen on the Internet. If you look at the phishing emails, they're literally in every language known to man, um, coming from almost every single country and going to almost every single country. 
it's, I guess, a, a, a cyber gold rush. And as a result of that, what we're seeing is a lot of the attacks are pretty unsophisticated. So you see a lot of phishing emails that have been in circulation before that are just being rewritten using the same endpoints. Uh, we see a lot of malware that's being redressed that had been sent out before but is now being given a, a COVID-19 theme so that people will download it. Everyone's trying to exploit this. We're even seeing phishing emails that don't have a payload that simply threaten to do harm and hope that people are going to pay up. The sort of scareware type campaigns that have previously been seen exploiting people for Bitcoin. So it's kind of like a little bit of everything going on. But probably more dangerously, we're also seeing a lot of distraction attacks. So the bad guys realize that with all the noise that's going on and with the fact that everybody is so distributed and spread out working from home, they're more vulnerable than they've ever been. And as a result of that, the attacks are likely to be much more devastating. You just consider how hard it would be to remediate a laptop that gets infected at someone's house versus a laptop that gets infected in the company. You start to understand some of the challenges and the bad guys understand that. So as well as these um, opportunistic attacks looking to leverage money, we're seeing breaches uh, and we're seeing bad guys just taking pot shots at infrastructure. And sadly, one of the things that we hoped wouldn't happen, which is that hospitals would be directly targeted, has happened. And that's because the bad guys realize that when people's lives are on the line, they have more leverage. And more leverage means more money. So it's quite a challenging situation. We are, in many regards, drinking from a fire hose. Um, I feel like we're barely making a dent into the, the stuff that's out there, but at least we are clearing a lot of the low-hanging fruit, which hopefully enables our law enforcement partners to work on the much more serious stuff. Yeah. And, you know, to follow up on that, I know that the group started off prioritizing and I believe is continuing to prioritize frontline medical resources and critical infrastructure. And Mark, you just mentioned that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, lives are on the line and that gives cyber criminals more leverage. Are there any other reasons why these two particular industries need to be prioritized from your perspective? Let me understand that in the league we are doing uh, with uh, offer services in three different methods. The first one is neutralization of cyber attack. The second one is prevention of cyber attack. And the third one is fighting disinformation as another aspect of uh, using the cyber domain uh, in order to do some, uh, uh, some bettings uh, online. In the first one, we identified so many attacks uh, targeting or focusing in the medical sector and in critical infrastructure, and we can supply services to anyone, but we want to be um, in the point that we can save life. We can be in the point uh, that we will be most effective in. For example, uh, the medical sector is now need in the most uh, sensitive time, need uh, some backup, need someone to watch the watchman. So we are these people, we are the people that are prioritizing critical infrastructure and the medical sector now in these days because we believe that with these um, efforts we can save lives. 
after the current crisis, we will be able to use this power to gain to more and more places um, and create some group that connect people from all around the world to do some good. And this is not only neutralization of cyber attack. It means that we take, um, for example, phishing attacks or spear phishing attacks or some pointed attack against some medical sector that we saw in the darkness, um, take down from the Internet or to escalate it, as the Mark told, uh, to the law enforcement. We also want to prevent the attacks. By that, we um, prioritize finding vulnerabilities, for example, uh, in some medical organizations and, medical and healthcare facilities that we want um, to reduce the amount of possible ways to attack these organizations. We believe that these are the most relevant sectors during the time of the corona crisis, and we are willing to serve them as they served us now in uh, fighting this virus. Uh, we are here to this community established for helping them. So they are the most uh, prioritized uh, sectors right now. Nice. Thank you. And Mark, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the kind of driving point right at the start was there are doctors and nurses and other frontline medical staff out there risking their lives and even dying to protect us. The least we can do is provide them with air cover, protect them so that they can do their jobs. It would be absolutely horrific if we saw something like another WannaCry or NotPetya take out a hospital at this time. Not only would it put uh, patient lives at risk, but it would put first-line responders' lives at risk, and, and that's unconscionable. So that was the, the sort of first driving point. But then, as I saw other groups start to spring up, people making medical masks from home, making shields, making gowns, trying at their best to do everything they could to fill in the gaps in the supply chain and support, we realized that the main points of critical infrastructure are things like telecoms networks, ISPs, and very internet itself was starting to become a, a major player in protecting everyone against this this pandemic. And so we widened what we were doing to try and protect all of these points. And at the same time, these bad guys who are exploiting hospitals are also launching phishing campaigns to exploit people at home. They're looking to take money from elderly people. They're looking to take people's savings at a time when they could least afford to lose that money. And that became a, a real sore point for me. Um, I don't like to see bullies, and I don't like to see them bullying ordinary people. And so we tried to expand as much as we can to protect. We obviously had to be careful how we expand. The, the Internet and the industry is a very wide place. And if we tried to protect everything, we would just literally spend every waking moment and still probably not make a dent into it. So we tried to be focused on the things that we consider top priority for now, um, and we're going to adapt as, as necessary. The, the group itself has evolved. As O had mentioned, you know, we didn't have a part of the group looking into things like disinformation before. Now we do, and the disinformation campaigns we've been tracking have actually led to physical actions on the ground, so they are serious. Um, mm -hmm. It's a wide problem set, and 
I think we'll just continue to evolve as the problems themselves evolve. Yeah, and the problems surely are evolving. And I do want to hear from each of you in in response to this, Mark. I'll start with you. What would you say have been some of the greatest successes and the greatest challenges that the group has experienced or that you have experienced as a part of this group thus far? So for me, the the two biggest things are, one, the collaboration. Um, I have never seen such a large group of such diverse people from so many countries collaborate in this way. Um, We have members from 76 countries. You can see the distribution in the report that Ohad mentioned earlier. And the fact that these people from uh, threat hunters, um, white hat hackers, CTI experts, IT security experts, incident responders, law enforcement, government folk, agencies, all of them have come together, all donating their spare time to assist with tackling this problem is just amazing. For me, it's been one of the greatest lights in this whole dark period. Uh, The fact that man has stood up to protect his fellow man uh, makes me incredibly proud to be part of it. The other thing is, I didn't expect to wake up and and be a manager of 1,400 people in a security team. It's way more challenging than I anticipated. Uh, It certainly keeps all four of us on our toes. We're constantly thinking about how we can keep the group engaged, how we can manage things, and what's the next problem. And, of course, how can we keep this thing running in the future? Because some resource like this is always going to be necessary. Maybe not on such a big scale, but even on a small scale, it could cause immense good on the Internet. But keeping it together once the uh, sword of Damocles that is the COVID pandemic goes away is a very challenging proposition. Ohad, what would you say have been some of your greatest successes and challenges thus far? My opinion the ability to create a community with experts from the cybersecurity industry and law enforcement agencies and governmental organizations worldwide, this is something that I consider as a great success uh, of the league. I think the result we presented in our uh, report just a few days ago showed what is the power of us as a community, what is the power of us, of the CTI uh, industry when we are united. All the volunteers, as Mark said, in CTI League have their own day jobs. They have their office, their families, the fear from the corona crisis and all the things that they need to go through. But 1,400 people joined us and showed that they care and they want to do some good. This is something that I find really amazing. CTI League reopened the borders between countries virtually, connecting people from all around the world, countries that are not um, cooperate in normal days. When I imagined this community, I didn't expect um, the volume of the community. And I think this is kind of amazing, the trust that we gain um, from the law enforcement and the governmental uh, entities worldwide is amazing, and I, I want to thank them for this. We will able to do some 
good things and we were able to do some good things in the past one month. I remember the first time we take down some uh, cyber attack from the internet and I was so excited to see that we are doing something here. We are doing something great here. And for me personally, um, I want to share some story within the community from an Israeli aspect. The other day, one of the volunteers within the community from a country that I can't go to um, and doesn't have an official uh, relations with Israel told me that their government were attacked by a DDoS attack and he asked for help because this is something really severe. And together we collaborated for the first time that I collaborated with people from this country. Together with the league, um, we were able to take down this um, operation and to take down the infrastructure and to escalate it to the relevant law enforcement agencies in the country. And when I sent him um, on DM and said to him, I'm happy that we succeed to stop the attack, he wrote to me, um, I am happy that this crisis connected us. For me, as an Israeli, this is something that has so much meaning. Um, and I think this is one of the great um, achievements that this community uh, created in the past month. That's beautiful, right? I mean, this idea that as much as borders are a man-made construct, tearing down those borders is equally within the power of man, right? Um, and I do want to follow up on this conversation about community and this public-private partnership and, and the great value that it has. I know that there's been just a lot of conversation about public-private partnerships, especially when it comes to sharing threat intelligence and the need for and value, but also the tentative reservations around that. So in your experience with this group, how are civilians and industry currently working together to augment and support government and law enforcement? And what can the wider cybersecurity community learn from that in order to maintain these partnerships and allow them to evolve moving forward? So there's been one key thing that has made us successful, and that's collaboration. Historically, we've done many of these things as, as part of our day jobs, but they'll take sometimes days, weeks, even months to complete. If I want to take a site down in a foreign country, I often have to follow a multi-step process and cut a lot of red tape in order to reach the entity that can take down that foreign asset. But having everybody together working cross-functionally has completely changed that. And it's a really good illustration how, as we've become so siloed in the infosec industry, I mean, as an example, if you look at antivirus companies and you pick up a particular name of a piece of malware, you'll find it across 20 companies, it has 20 different names. And that's not because they're, they're trying to be obtuse, it's simply because They've discovered it in their own silo, they've worked on it, and they've named it. And that lack of collaboration makes things like information sharing really hard. But when we all come together and when we break down those barriers, suddenly we become incredibly effective. And the, the same applies to civilian and, and governmental partnerships. Now, I've never been able to work this closely with law enforcement before, and watching the seamless transition as we find threats and they get escalated up to law enforcement partners 
and the law enforcement partners take them and work on them and we watch them disappear from the internet is a truly amazing thing. And I think there's a great lesson here for us as an InfoSec community. And that is maybe if we can come up with ways to break down the barriers, to work more collaboratively, we can do a lot more damage to the bad guys. And that's something I think we all want. That's fantastic. Oh, did you have anything to add to that? I think that the CTI League presented the importance of sharing of information. I think the CTI League presented the power of collaborations with people from all around the world. If we check the amount of people within the group, there are uh, 1,400 people, most of them from the CTI industry. But we have so many people from the tech industry, IT, finance, government, health sectors, sales, and more and more people join the league even if they are not connected directly to the health sector or to the uh, CTI domain. They are workers for the uh, cyber uh, departments in some organizations. We have some people that uh, joined us from uh, Sports League, for example, and said, hey, I have my tools. I want to help. I think this collaboration worldwide is such an amazing thing. As Mark said, I uh, the same didn't work so closely with the law enforcement as a civilian, and I find it really uh, efficient and amazing. That's fantastic, and, and hopefully it is something that continues to evolve and grow throughout the community post-pandemic as well. Ohad and Mark, this has been such a great conversation, really beautiful stuff, but also, you know, highly cybersecurity stuff. So it's truly that human element within cybersecurity that is continuing to move forward and make great progress. So I commend you both for that. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we say goodbye? If any of you uh, that listen to us want to join this initiative, you can enter our website. In our website, there is the form uh, for joining us, and you can see what you need to do in order to join us. If you are from the medical sector or from the critical infrastructure sector, or you got attacked because of the pandemic, you have an address. You can find it in our website. We are welcoming emails. Um, we are waiting for you. And if you want to check for any proof of concept of our work, we have a report also in our website. You can read it um, and get all the information about the league that you need. And, of course, I want to thank all the volunteers taking part in this amazing project, and I want to thank all of you. Thank you very much. And echoing what uh, Ohad said, um, from my perspective, I'd just like to say to everybody listening, you can make a difference. You know, whatever discipline you have in information security, you can add value to this initiative or any of the other initiatives. They're, they're at least two or three other uh, major initiatives I know of. There's the COVID-19 Cyber Coalition and the C-19 in the UK, both of whom are fighting the same battle and doing the same kind of good work. These groups are out there. Join them and help them. And even if you don't have cybersecurity-type skills, there are ways you can help. If you're a project manager... There are groups out there who are putting together medical supplies and building supply chains to support the medical industry. 
help them. If we as a race get together and fight this, we can become an unbeatable army. And it's really beautiful when it happens. And the last thing, obviously, like uh, Ohad said, I really want to thank those of ours, our membership, and the law enforcement and government partners who've done so much to make this a reality. Together, we've done, I think, some real good. Our results are the sort of results that most enterprises would be proud of, and I hope to continue that in the future. That's fantastic, and it really speaks to the spirit of the cybersecurity community that transcends sector and industry, right? Like, it it is a group of people who are wise and willing to share their passion and their skills. So, thank you both so much for sharing yours with us today, for joining us. Such a great pleasure. Thank you for being here and for the work that you do, and please Listeners, continue to visit our website where you can find all the resources you need to address the cybersecurity challenges you are facing. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Great conversation. 